Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode here on the Thursday morning edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Happy Thursday morning to you. Hope you enjoyed uh, part one with the Carlin Gay of the Sporting News. Um, all c- kinds of great NBA stuff uh, on this feed. So if you missed it, uh, this the, the previous episode should be right before it. So uh, check that out after you check this one out uh, because it is the full ride here with Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. And uh, yeah, we talk about uh, Billy Napier wanting to take Florida back in recruiting. That's possible. The, the, the upcoming matchup with Miami and what that looks like on the recruiting trail in the not too distant future. Matt Luke stepping down at UGA, Cody Burns leaving Tennessee for the Saints, Liam Cohen leaving Kentucky for the Rams, uh, the college ball playoff deciding not to expand, at least for right now, what that means. And then uh, some starting SEC quarterback rankings, uh, who belongs where, uh, some surprises uh, based on a good 247 sports piece. So all that and more, all college football on this edition of the podcast. Uh, If you like listening to Matt and myself talk college football at this time every single week, please do make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch us. Yeah, we're on YouTube, so you can watch this very podcast. Uh, Just type in the Chase Thomas Podcast on YouTube. Uh, Hit that subscribe button, like it, share it out. Uh, Would be greatly beneficial. Uh, If you have any college football questions for Matt or myself or any questions about the show, uh, feel free to reach out and email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. And please do visit the website uh, where you can get access to all the information about the show and all of that good stuff and past episodes at chasethomaspodcast.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, the full ride back here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am joined by a man who owns exactly two sweatshirts, maybe three, if we're being generous, because this man has been on video podcasts. I swear for a month now, and I've only seen him in the Atlanta Braves hoodie, the University of North Georgia hoodie and the University of Georgia, or in the Atlanta Braves hoodie. I don't know if I would just read myself, but it's a Braves, North Georgia, and Georgia hoodie. That's and, the, the uh, man's a hoodie guy. Maddox actually chewed up that Georgia hoodie. Yeah, got got into it. Just one night, it was left on a little bench at the end of our bed, and he was, what was kind of ideal, he yeah. ripped it along the seam right behind the neck. Uh-huh. So, like, of all the places to rip a hoodie, when you're just wearing the hoodie like normal, you can't actually see it. But, oh, man, I was devastated with him. What What was the reaction? Did you wake up the next morning? Did you see it? Did I you- caught him in the act. It was like you just hear a noise. I feel you just hear a noise like in your sleep. You don't want to pay attention to it. And then after mm-hmm. a while, you're like, oh, wait, that's what that is. Just ripping my favorite hoodie to shreds. <laughs> oh, man. So, Zeus it's is honestly, firmly. It's not that bad, but. Yeah, it's not that bad. bad. Your favorite well, like, hoodie down the it's, drain. It's still wearable. That's what I'm saying. It is still wearable. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily to shreds. But yeah, Zeus is Zeus would never. Zeus, will, Zeus tries to like get in the toilet and stuff. Like get in the trash. <laughs> like we had to put a lock on the trash because of Zeus. But uh, yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. Khaleesi's I actually got order- them both. Mm-hmm. I got them both in studio right now. So do you? Uh, okay. Let's see, we'll see. There's not as much window access down here, so mm-hmm. I figured the chances of them 
seeing something and going nuts and barking or, or lower down here. So we'll see. I mean, can they Maybe see anything in there. the dark? It's dark outside. Can they see anything? I mean, there's streetlights. You can, okay. who knows? The dogs hear, hear a small noise and then just, yeah, one barks, one kind of barks and they both just go nuts. So it's, uh, it is what it is. The, the, the reality of two dogs. The reality of two dogs. And we now know who the number one is in the, the Matt Green household is Zeus. Like the man, he doesn't chew up your hoodies. So it sounds That's like true. you're 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 favoring him. Um well Khaleesi the dog is actually kind of similar in her dumb situations where she's just like suicidal sometimes where she loves chocolate. And when we've had that situation where she just will eat all the chocolate and then rush her to the the vet because it's could kill her so that's one of those dumb things where you're like what apparently before because uh Khaleesi predates me um with the sports renaissance woman and this has been a thing like you would think after the first time the dog would understand that like this thing is probably not supposed to be in me because i have to go to the vet whenever i eat this stuff and he she has not equated the two together yet i'm i'm maybe when she turns nine this year that's when it will really hey, kick the in heart, the heart wants what it wants <laughs> It's, well, it's funny, a funny story kind of along mm-hmm. those lines. Uh, Major Wingate, rest in mm-hmm. peace, former Tennessee volunteer and North mm-hmm. Gwinnett Bulldog. He was allergic to orange juice, but he like loved orange juice. So he would just like smell it. He would just like smell orange juice because he like liked it that much. But yeah, it was crazy. I didn't know that. Where did you pick up on that? Where did you see that? I mean, I just remember my brother played on the high school team with him. So That's I right. I remember that that detail. It was kind of crazy. So the players just knew that he was out there sniffing. Like some people huff paint. Major Wingate was out there <laughs> sniffing some orange juice. I guess so. Big minute, uh, big uh, minute mate guy. That's wild. Um, I don't even really like orange juice as much. Orange juice is okay. It's not a not a big. I'm more of a apple juice kind of guy. Apple juice is the king juice. Like there is no question that apple juice is number one. I'm I'm going orange juice over apple juice, but I feel Would like you, I'm going lemonade probably uh, first. Too sugary. You can't do lemonade. I mean, pink lemonade. lemonade. Pink lemonade be ideal over uh, a little raspberry lemonade, a little Publix raspberry lemonade. That's that's my jam right there. I'm sure there's just. I'm sure there's a bunch of sugar. I'm sure that's all it is. Well, you know how I feel about Publix. You know that. Uh, <laughs> that the only person in the South that doesn't like Publix can't do it. Don't want you talking to me when I'm in the in the place. Can't have it. I want you hate, not just hate good customer service. <laughs> yes, I'm very pro like I don't want to be here cuz I'm like we're on the same page. I don't want to be here either. I I get where you're coming from. Um no, but well we have a lot of other uh college football stuff we have to hit on Matt Green tonight. Um I want to start with your favorite subject matter, the Florida Gators who yes, hire Billy who hire Billy Napier this offseason. And he is going like we haven't played a game yet. But one of the things when you read the quotes, when you um, you kind of get a sense of where his head's at recruiting wise and what he wants to do differently than his predecessor, Dan Mullen, is that I don't think he has any he has any problems being a recruiting first guy. Like he obviously developed really well in Louisiana, but he seems to really understand that like that has to change. It's like. Mullen tried to get away with, well, we might not recruit as well, but I'm a better in-game coach and I'm a better offensive scheme guy that like I will out-scheme Georgia. I will out-scheme Alabama. I'll out-scheme whoever. And that wears thin or, after a while. Or elite 
a talent evaluator yes. or something. Maybe they're not five stars, but mm-hmm. we're getting good players, that sort of thing. Right. And Napier is like, hey, this is something that we were wondering because this happened to Florida State in the early 2000s where part of what happened to Florida State and even to Miami to an extent was that the state of Florida got Calvin got um, got raided um, by Alabama, by Clemson, by other programs, Ohio State, by programs all around the air, the country. So it was not on lockdown anymore. Florida State used to just get the best players in the state of Florida. And there's always been an inherent advantage of uh, playing, having a university uh, being just happen to be in a state where high school football is awesome and the player development's awesome. The it just that's just the way it is. It's like it will always be easier to be good at, in a Georgia school than Nebraska. Like it's just always going to be easier because kids ultimately do want to stay home. They want to stay close to home. They want their parents to be able to come see them. Um, they want family, friends, all that kind of stuff. Like there's an inherent advantage. Napier's coming in and he's like, I want to get this back up to 65 to 80% Florida players on my team. Like he wants to flip that script and he wants to work on locking down Florida. Heupel said the same kind of thing at Tennessee, but the difference is you can lock down the state of Tennessee. That doesn't really do anything. Like there's just not a bunch of five-star talent, unfortunately in the state of Tennessee. Like they just had the first five-star quarterback in a while and Ty Sampson and he picked Alabama. Um, all that being said is you kind of have to – Tennessee is just different. We'll, we'll get into them in a second. But yeah, I do think it's – the level in, of like a Louisiana or something no. like that. So you can lock it down, but that's not going to win you a title. Like you cannot – that's a nice thing to build good relationships and you want to lock down your home state. But for Tennessee to get to that next level, they still have to pick from Alabama. They still have to pick off Georgia. They still have to pick off North Carolina. They still have to pick off some Florida. Like you just – you can't only do that. But Florida can – only or not even only overwhelmingly become a contender again by just locking down a lot of what they've lost in the state of Florida. Now, do I think that's possible? I don't know. We'll see. But we saw what happened to Florida state when this happened, it just changed the whole dynamic of the program. And now they're still trying to get back a little bit. Um, Miami, they are not the same recruiting uh, program that they've been since the early two thousands. Crystal ball down there in Miami. Now, this is the best recruiting operation that Miami's had in 20 years. Like this is the best Miami staff they've had in 20 years. This is the best financial support they've had. So all that being said, this is fascinating to me that the state of Florida and the universities in Florida are like, we're taking our state back. Do you believe that Billy Napier can get this roster to 65 to 80% Florida players? Are you as optimistic as he is? We'll see that now that's a whole other conversation, right? 65 to 85% Florida players. Yeah. He could do that tomorrow if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. It's not about, it's not about just getting guys from Florida. It's that Florida produces those elite level players and you need to go get yourself some of those elite level players. It kind of reminded me of Howard Schnellenberger's, how he built Miami initially. Like, I think he just, I don't, I don't know where the exact line was, but he cut, cut a line through, say, Lakeland or Orlando. Everything below this is the state of Miami. And mm-hmm. that's, how they, that's how they built their recruiting strategy. And you saw what Miami became in the 80s and 90s. But the one thing that Miami has is that geographical advantage. Not only that they're you know near the beach and all that, mm-hmm. South Florida and everything, but it's South Florida is – like Miami is the heart of that, whereas Florida, it is right in the middle of the state, but there's not necessarily a region that's like, okay, Florida is 
is my place. You know, maybe there's the panhandle. There's you could be from central Florida. Florida's obviously in a good geographical spot, but there's something about the pride that comes from being like South Florida, Miami. It seems to have a whole nother level of like pull that Florida doesn't seem to have. I was just looking at just the last four years alone. Mm -hmm. The state of Florida has produced 22 five-star prospects and Florida has gotten two of those. And I don't know the numbers on Florida state and Miami. I think Miami probably got a couple more, but yeah, I would say just guessing off the top of my head, Florida state and Miami probably have another three or four or five, maybe like these guys are all leaving the state and it's such a weird time. Like you said, for all these programs to kind of be in flux, like Miami with the first year head coach and uh, Florida with the first year head coach, like somebody's trying to lay the roots down now. And Miami seems like they're in a better position to do it like right now today than Florida. But I don't know. The ceiling of Florida still feels a little higher than Miami in 2022 Hmm. to me. Like I wouldn't have said that 10, 15 years ago, but Miami, I don't know. They, they don't seem like it's just been so long since we saw them really compete for anything. Like even Florida, the interesting thing about Florida is from 91 to 2010, Florida is an elite, one of the elite programs in college football. Basically, any time before that and any time after that, they haven't been. So mm-hmm. it's like, what is the, what is the, I should say, like outlier? Like, which of these things is, is more reflective? Who are is they this, really? Yeah. Yes, exactly. 100 years of playing football, 115, 20 years of playing football, you were elite for a 20 year period. And then you were just a fine, just just an okay, good program for every other year. And you had two Hall of Fame coaches during that time too. So mm-hmm. Florida's just in a very interesting position. Georgia's obviously never been at this level that they're currently at. That's another challenge that is there for Florida on top of the two in-state schools and Alabama coming down and raiding your your home. Because I think you, you said to multiple teams in – uh, coming down and rating Florida, Georgia is definitely one of those. I think they have three five stars from this 2022 class alone from the state of Florida. So it's a they're in a really interesting spot, but they it feels like a a spot you can get out of, like because Florida, like Dan Mullen, they went what was the, uh, McElwain's last year, like four and seven. They went mm-hmm. from four and seven to like ten and three, eleven and two, the first two years after that. So. Florida, as as tough as a position as they're in, it feels like they're definitely like they're just a big time program. So they definitely have the ability to to be elite again. I just the staff that Cristobal's put together is just bonkers. Like I I don't know. And the other thing I would say in terms of that's going to be in Miami's favor is just that like the ACC is a it's just a, a lot more open area for them to take advantage. Like Clemson is obviously coming down a little bit. And outside of Clemson, this is, I mean, look at who was in the ACC championship game this year. It was Pitt and Wake Forest. Like yeah. Miami getting their act together, even just somewhat, even if Crystal Ball's not an A plus, if he's at A minus, B plus, they're running the ACC. Like it's them and Clemson again. Like they, it's, it's right there. Like the ACC has been waiting on Miami to figure its crap out for the entirety of Miami being in the ACC. Have, <laughs> they have, they have this is why we invited you guys. Yes, exactly. They've never won the conference, like ever. So your point is well taken in that like Florida at least has shown it. Like we've seen it of late. 
Miami, we haven't seen it. But I would just say like Florida's probably the more comfortable bet. Like if I had to put money on it, it'd be Florida. But like it should be Miami. And that's why it would just drive me nuts if I'm a Miami fan because I'm like, we're Miami. Like there's so much town in the state of Florida anyway. And most kids would prefer to live in Miami versus Gainesville. We should not lose these battles to Florida. Like we shouldn't anymore. Being a Miami hurricane was cool. It should be cool again. You should be good. You should be <laughs> awesome. Like there, it's like the Texas thing where you're just like, I, I don't understand how you guys can't figure this out because you have this inherent advantage over everyone else in your conference. And yet you still just, it, it's baffling. Clemson's not like, remember what Clemson was before Dabo, like just created this Nick Saban, like operation. They, it was it was a, a, it was a fine just a, yeah it was a fine program this is right. good yeah they were okay they were fine they were living their best life with Woody Dantzler and Charlie Whitehurst they weren't competing for <laughs> t- Chauncey Stuckey they weren't competing Old for titles Spiller. yeah they weren't competing for titles they were just fine they were like an eight and four or nine they're kind of like what NC State is now where it was like they were solid they were always going to be solid. Uh, but you never were like, they can win a national title. There was no fear that Clemson was going to break through and win a national title. But now they are. But like that should have been Miami. That should be Miami every year. This should be a thing. So I am, I'm so fascinated to see the battle between Napier and Cristobal because I think the battle lines have been drawn and they both want to lock down the state of Florida. But I don't think, like you said, you cannot have a dominant Miami program and a dominant florida recruiting program at the same time i I don't think that works especially with georgia alabama and ohio state still rocking the state of florida well it's interesting you say that too because i don't have those numbers in front of me but like miami's most dominant run initially was that mid to late 80s florida was not an elite program Mm -hmm. then and then i think i think the last one they won for a while was like 91 i think miami Mm -hmm. And then Florida goes on a stretch. I mean, they only won one national championship in the 90s, but two with Urban Meyer. Like, there's just kind of that little hiccup right there with Ron Zook Mm. is kind of where Miami was elite again there. So it it is kind of interesting now that you put it that way, that Florida and Miami have never – haven't necessarily been elite at the same time. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was, I think, 2000. I think they played in, like, the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I think they were, like, both really good with Rex Grossman and everything. But it – it, it seems like there's enough talent in the state that they can. There's no reason they can't both be good at the same time. Because, I mean, and Florida State was was good through that entire stretch, like basically never missing a beat throughout Miami and Florida State, Florida's good years too. So it's it's crazy to think that there's enough talent, but I feel like there is. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's, it is interesting. Like, I this is the weird part about college football too is that like you have the conversation of who is better, mm-hmm. but then there's also who's better compared to what is standing in your way. So with Florida, it feels like they might can be better and they have been significantly better. I would say over the last decade, 15 years or so, but Georgia and LSU are on their schedule every single year. Tennessee is on the way back up. Like that could be another challenge. But then if you get through those teams, you're basically playing Alabama every year. Like what stands between Miami is Clemson. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's been Clemson keeping Miami back. They haven't been make, consistently making the ACC championship or anything. So 
with Clemson coming back a step, like they're like we said, there's literally nothing really standing in Miami's way in the in the ACC, and so they they're definitely in a better position than, than Florida is. I'm gonna do a pop quiz real quick, and we'll move on. You ready for this? All right, hit me. You're gonna tell me if this is Kirby or Billy Napier. Quote: This is a talent acquisition business. I mean, there's no question. It starts with the players. I mean, I'm going to guess that that was Billy Napier just because you asked. <laughs> it was Billy Napier, but that could easily be word for word something Kirby said when he first started and just how he operates. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I, think I think there's going to be a lot of similarities is between the two. One person. I feel like so much, so many times when people are talking about whatever sign of narratives they want to talk about, Saban's always bringing it back to the players. It's like, look, these players are the ones doing it. Like, I remember mm-hmm. even Kirby saying it when Georgia won the national championship. Like, oh, these fans have waited so long for this. What, what does this mean? It's like, yeah, the fans are great and everything. <laughs> they showed up. But the players, they're the ones that actually did it. They're the ones that actually came to the workout and earned this. So you got, you're nothing without the players. So you got to – that's why recruiting never ends, you know? That's true. Um, speaking of recruiting and just coaching, Matt Luke steps down at UGA um, as their offensive line coach. Uh, Tennessee loses their wide receiver coach, Cody Burns, to the Saints in the same role. And then Kentucky loses Liam Cohen, their new OC, who just helped an offense that uh, set all kinds of Kentucky records with Chris Rodriguez yeah. and Will Levis this past year. He goes to become the OC with the Rams. Dude, this is a lot of turnover uh, in the SEC East. Um, of the three... Which stands out the most to you? Which which are you most interested in? I think Liam Cohen, definitely. That seems like the biggest one right there. Just because Kentucky, has, as solid as they've been in recent years, that's what we've talked about. It's just been, it's been yeah, but. Like, mm-hmm. but, but the offense is just, it's nothing, you know? And so we finally saw, even with a quarterback that wasn't, you know, the greatest passer, he was a, a dynamic athlete, but we saw how good that offense could be the last couple of years. And obviously it was still improving. So it's going to be tough to, uh, to find a, a replacement to be able to keep uh, Kentucky's offense making that same progress. Uh, this comes from Matt Jones, who's pretty plugged in with Kentucky sports radio. He said, uh, quote, as UK starts to look for a new offensive coordinator, I am hearing it's a wide search and most of the names people are talking about are not names being considered. Um, that's interesting, but also bad timing. Like you need to get this in like losing a wide receiver coach or an offensive line coach at this time hurts, but losing your OC a month before spring practice is not ideal. You, cause also the other thing you have to worry about is the portal because we don't have a timeline or anything like these guys. Now they're like, Oh, I came here for Liam Cohen in this new offense. And if you hire the wrong kind of OC, guess what? They're out the door. Like they're, you're going to look at some post spring uh, exits. That's going to be really uncomfortable uh, because the college ball is a wild, wild west right now. And this is something that could shake a lot of uh, what Kentucky is going to try and do this fall. Um, I don't know, man. I think this is, if you're a Kentucky fan, I'd be quite nervous because uh, Stoops did not figure out this offense before Cohen. And it was a good outside the box to bring in somebody like him and we'll see. And it's good that it seems like he's going to go outside the box again. But I'll see it when I believe it, man. This is a problem. Like if Kentucky is ever going to break through, break through, it has to be because the offense, they hired the right offensive mind and they needed Cohen to stick around. And I don't know if this is a brutal blow because Stoops knows defense. They're going to be competent. They're going to be great. 
But if you want to compete with Georgia, you want to compete with Tennessee because Tennessee's not scared of this offense and they're not scared of Kentucky next year. Like Hendon Hooker is still going to outscore whoever it is on Kentucky's sideline. It doesn't matter. Um, I don't know. I just, I would be nervous if I was a Kentucky fan, but Cody Burns leaving does hurt because now, I mean, the, the bit, I mean, you could say the best part might be Justin Williams, um, the running back, but I think with Squirrel White, with Cam Miller, with the amount of wide receiver talent that came in this spring because of Cody Burns and what he was bringing to this team, like that's four freshmen who came on campus early and enrolled early to work with him. Um, I don't know what that means. I'm kind of nervous that this could lead to at least one transfer um, with him dipping, but we'll see because this wide receiver room's thin. Tennessee loses Velas Jones and Javante Payton and they're replacing them with uh, Jalen Hyatt, and we'll see. Ramel Keaton might be in there. I don't know. The The wide receiver room is pretty thin at the moment with actual proven depth. A lot of names that are young that are interesting, but not guys that are ready to do it yet. So I'm curious to see what Cody's departure means in the short term for a lot of the young guys who, who came on. But Luke's was pretty surprising too, right? Like this was something that Georgia fans weren't expecting. Um, I, I don't know. It seems like he's just, is he just stepping away from football? Is that the sense you've gotten? Like what, that's what, what is he going to do? That's what it seems like. It's just, uh, wants to see his kids grow up, that sort of thing. Like I think his kids are in like middle school or high school. He wants to see him play football, that sort of thing. So maybe it's like a five, six year break. I don't know. That doesn't typically happen. And you get back into coaching, but, but we'll see. It's, I thought it was interesting because, this could have been kind of the what Kirby Smart was foreshadowing around the national championship when he had that interview with Reese Davis that there's a lot of really good college football coaches out there that are going to choose not to be college football coaches because of just the wear and tear that it does to your to your personal life to just your family your free time and all of that it just it's just a 24/7 game Kirby Smart seems to be wired that way and just breathes breathes recruiting eats sleeps and breathes recruiting but not everybody's wired that way so you're either going to see guys go to the nfl or you're just going to see them just outright just step down i was definitely surprised by it and that scenario less than the other two is why we've i've just been pounding the table all year when we talk about the college football calendar we just have to do something about when signing day signing day should be sometime in march like and have one before the season if you want to do that but it's just it's throwing off everything and now with these guys being able to leave the portal and be eligible right away there's just teams are in such a rush to to fill every single position like i mean how many is it which position i I get them confused that miami's hired like three offensive coordinators like this off this off season or maybe it's defensive coordinators i could be getting Mm -hmm. confused but it's like they get somebody and then oh actually so-and-so from the NFL just opened up. So now mm-hmm. big-time dude from Alabama's going there. Now Alabama's got an open stop. Just, so that's how the carousel works. And just having these teams rush so they can have guys on staff for early signing day, and then two months later they're not even at that school anymore, it's, it's just something's got to change. It's, just, it's kind of a ridiculous – and we, it have to, you have to uh, have it based on the NFL's calendar because – the NFL coaching fraternity and the coach and the college coaching fraternity are just so intertwined. You have to, it's going to impact the carousel. So that's what I thought when I saw the Cody Burns and the, the Liam Cohen going to the Rams, it's like, you're, you're just, 
this is going to be commonplace of just guys taking a job and then, you know, taking another job. Like we saw Manny Diaz do that with Temple, that with a head coaching job and then take uh, uh, the Miami job later that same offseason. But it, this is just – it's going to be more and more common until they can just get this calendar fixed and, and have some things under control. And it all leads back to having conferences run this stuff and not – some actual governing body, like not having some sort of leader, yeah. some sort of president that actually does something like when you let conferences all figure it out themselves, uh, guess what? You have a mess on your hands and um, we'll get into that in our main event, but quickly uh, there was a really good piece on 247 about the sec quarterback rankings heading into 2022. Uh, Matt, you're not going to believe this, but the Vanderbilt quarterback Ken seals starting off at number 14, uh, how how shocking was that when you first saw that uh, the Vanderbilt Commodores might uh, have another bad offense next year? Shocked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you, I thought I you were think... going to do the dodgeball bit there where I, I'm i shocked, Cotton. What was it? Um, what was the line? From... No, you're thinking uh, Jason Bateman was like old strategy, Cotton. Mm-hmm. See if it pays off. I don't know. No, but I remember that one, but he was like, there was another line in there where, I mean, Bateman's character oh i do i do he's like a shocking turn of events <laughs> or something and then yeah he's just like i am shocked <laughs> i think that's i think that's his like his color commentary to that yeah it uh pepper what was his name pepper brooks that was his there name pepper go. brooks i was just me nuts but yeah that was something i was thinking of when i saw that um but yeah we can run down this list real quick uh brady cook uh from missouri he started the bowl game for them didn't see a lot in that army game you get zach calzada at auburn at 12 anthony richardson at 11 at florida brennan who returned he went to the portal came back out with brian kelly at number 10 will levis at number nine jackson dart at number eight at ole miss max johnson at texas a&m at seven which is weird to me and we'll get into that in a second stetson at six uh spencer rattler at five uh will rogers at four Hendon Hooker, Hendo Cinco, ladies and gentlemen, KJ Jefferson at number two, and number one, Bryce Young. Um, I thought, by and large, this is a pretty fair list. Um, I didn't really have a, uh, some strong disagreements here. I think the bottom three are unanimous, but I could see how some people might have some questions about Jackson Dart, or they might have some questions about where Stetson belongs, but... By and large, I don't know. I thought this was a this is a pretty fair list. I mean, I'd probably switch out Hendon and KJ because I think if Arkansas and Kendall Bryles was offered a straight up swap for KJ or Kendon Hooker, I think he would probably take Hooker based on what we saw last year. But I don't know. It's a, KJ Jefferson's a good player, and Arkansas is a good team, so I, I don't hate that. But I don't know what uh, what did you make of this list? Yeah, that that one surprised me a little bit. Um, I think Hendon Hooker, you kind of wonder how much the offense might benefit, you know, how good he actually is. You know, maybe you put someone else in in that position, running Heupel's offense. We saw Joe Milton do it, and it was not. that could uh, be true. mm -hmm. I think it's a more quarterback-friendly offense necessarily than what K.J. Jefferson is in. But um, so I, I, I thought Hooker would be two, but I don't disagree with having K.J. Jefferson at two. I, um... The one I would say, Will Rogers. I would not have Will Rogers at four. I would have him below Stetson, probably just below Stetson. Like, Will Rogers is good, but like, let's not, let's, this guy threw the ball like, what, like 700 times last year? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> yeah, you should have some good stats. You throw the ball 700 times. So um, I, that's what I thought. I, I feel like Anthony Richardson, I think we saw – you sent me a list the other day just like in text message. Mm-hmm. I think they had him like four or something. Yeah, like I didn't that. like that. That was a different so, one. That wasn't two four seven. I forgot who did no, that. No, I can't It might have been Saturday him. down south. It might have been them. Yeah, that might have been it. So I think he's got the widest range of outcomes that like – that he – and he appears to have some physical tools that are special, right? But mm-hmm. it's like there's so much more that goes to playing the quarterback position than that. He seems like he wouldn't surprise you if he was third team All SEC or if he wasn't the starter halfway through the season. You know what I mean? It's like it's just you have no idea what you're expecting. I uh, I thought Miles Brennan at ten was a little low, hmm. but like, would you think Will Levis is better than Miles Brennan? No, Jackson Dart. Jackson Dart's a wild card, man. I can't even that's, like that's true. Um, I don't know. I think Jackson Dart, if he's healthy, and what we just saw from Matt Corral in this Lane Kiffin offense, I mean, but then again, remember, um, their OC left to go to uh Oklahoma to join up with Venables. So new OC in uh in Oxford. So we'll see what that does. But I don't know. They have a new OC and DC actually. Um but yeah, I don't know. I think Dart is a wild card. Will Rogers, like you said, I don't know. Four seems kind of high. I would also probably flip Stetson and Spencer. Like I think at this point, Stetson deserves the benefit of the doubt between the two of them. Um, Rattler is another wild card. And I think the wild card should just be behind the guys that we know. Um, like Brady yeah, Cook. Just as, make yeah. like five through 10 as the wild cards. Yeah, like Anthony Richardson, like I would actually put ahead of Johnson, I put him ahead of Dart. I put him ahead of Levis. I put oh, him ahead of you Brent. put Anthony Richardson ahead of Max Johnson? I would because I don't even know if Max Johnson's going to win the job this summer. Like he still has to compete with Haynes King. I'm not con- uh, that's a, like I'm not convinced I, I that Haynes King doesn't Haynes win this King. job. But that's what I'm saying. Like I don't I don't know. Max Johnson, I, 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 what I would say is they're both unproven, but I think Richardson has a higher ceiling between the two. So between those two wild cards, if I had to guess who has the better college career or has the better season next year, if I had to bet on it, it'd be Richardson. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not passionate about it because they're all wild cards. The only ones that I know are going to be good next year that I know are going to be good quarterbacks in the SEC next year that we just know is Stetson is Hendon is KJ and Bryce. Those are the only four I think we can for sure say are going to be good SEC quarterbacks. Well, and, next you, and year. then you know what you're getting from Will Rogers. Yes, like he's he's fine. Like Mississippi State's going to do what they do, and they're right. going to do their air raid thing. But yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think Spencer Rattler is. It's hard to say which one is the biggest wild card, like you said, because it would it surprise you if Spencer Rattler was the best quarterback in the SEC? Like, I mean, yes. Next to Bryce Young, if he if he was second to Bryce Young as being the yes, that would still player. surprise me with South it, Carolina. It would be the most shocking thing. I'm not predicting it. Yeah, like you're saying. Uh, hold on, I have a question, Matt Green. When has South Carolina had the second best quarterback in the SEC at any point <laughs> in South Carolina's history? Oh man, I, what? Who who are the best quarterbacks back in what 2013, 2014? Garcia. Like, who are we going with here? Connor. I Shaw? was thinking Connor Shaw. Like, it was but Aaron Murray was better than him. Like Zach Berger. Go up and down the list, man. Around then, that's what I'm saying. They've never had the number two quarterback in the in the in the conference. It's never happened. Oh, uh, Steve Tannehill was he the the old school one with the mullet? I mean, I believe you. The day, sure, but like I'll see it when I believe it. At least we've seen it in Kentucky. 
like we saw Tim Couch and Jared Lorenzen. Like we've seen yeah, Andre, uh, Woodson. Andre Woodson. Yeah, we've seen elite quarterback play in uh in the Bluegrass State. We haven't seen it in uh, Columbia yet. That's fair. That doesn't know that doesn't mean it's not gonna happen though. It's a new no. era. It's the Beamer era, man. Dude, if I see one more coach of the year stuff, like I, I <laughs> like I just it's your favorite coach, man. Just accept I, it. it. It drives me up the wall. I cannot see it anymore. It, it like thankfully Hypo was a good sport about it, but that Spurrier was there presenting both awards to both of them. What a what a crock. What a crock <laughs> that they had to split the award when we already had the on the field evidence of who had the better season. They played each other. We don't have to do this. They played each other. I don't want to get you all riled up again. Might be I, too I late. Oh my goodness. I, I yeah. Spencer Rattler is just, it's hard to pinpoint because mm-hmm. everyone just wants to hate on him and just because he got benched, but he got benched for Caleb Williams. So he I think it's also be, the high school stuff. I think it's the attitude that, stuff. I don't true. know. It's, that I think there's a, yeah, but he could very well be one of the better quarterbacks in the sec. And that could, that alone could have South Carolina being one of the better teams in the sec. Like I'm not predicting it to happen, but I can, I can see the avenue in which it could happen. Yeah, I don't know. It's far out there in the distance. I'm not there. I'm not doing that. Um, if they finish above fourth in the SEC, I'd be SEC East. I'd be floored. Um, well, let's get into the college football playoff that did not expand this week. Um, we can loop this into Miami and whether or not they're the next sleeping giant. Uh, front of the pod, Josh Pate had a really good thing about this, um, about what they're building down there in Miami, but. They didn't expand. That being said, they're expanding after 2025. Like that was what happened there is like, we're going to expand, but we're not going to do the work right now to throw this into like, we we're not doing this. And like the, the silly stuff that they were fighting over, like guaranteed bids and certain things like that. Like that was just silly, but like they clearly acknowledge that they need to expand more, but they're just not going to do it until they have to in 2025. So my pr- the feeling that I've gotten is it's happening. They're going at 12, but it's just not going to happen until they have to in 2025. They're not shaking things up before they have to. They're not doing more work now to set things up later. And uh, I mean, Greg Sankey's fine with it. Like he's getting two teams in the SEC. I mean, in the playoff, like he just had an SEC, all SEC playoff anyway. And I don't know, like it, it was kind of a bummer because like I am so split on this and I think you and I have different perspectives on the college football playoff anyway, but if you go to 12, then the bowls have to go. Like that is my perspective is like, if you go to 12, then bowl season needs to go away. Like I just, it hurts, but you cannot have both things. You cannot have a bowl schedule and then have a 12 team, three to four week playoff system. You cannot have these two competing things anymore. Then it's just, it's already getting more complicated with a four team playoff and the opt outs and everything else. You're going, you either become a tournament. Like I think the solid verbal guys mentioned this, which was like, you either are a tournament sport or you're a bowl sport. And I agree with that. It's like, you cannot have both. You cannot walk the line with both of these things. So that kind of bums me out. But the other part of me is like, we're already there. Like bowl season this year was not anything like what we grew up with. Bowl season has not been like what we grew up with. And you're not going backwards. Like we're not going back to what bowl season used to be. Um, and that's just how it is. It's unfortunate. But like if you're going to do a playoff expansion, then that that kind of has to be the thing. And 
I don't know. Like I, it does kind of stink because it would be cool to see these matchups, especially if they can get on board with the first round all being at home sites. That's something that should be built into it. And then you go to the bowls for the next round and you wrap up that way. But I don't know. It it's coming, and I also don't think it changes anything. Like the same teams are still going to win, whether there's twelve teams or there's four teams or there's two teams. Like that is still how this sport is going to be decided: is who has the best depth who has the most four and five star talent who has the most blue chippers and that's it like that's i mean you still need to be able to coach and stuff like that but ultimately the winners stay the winners bama is still going to be in there in the end georgia will still be there in the end uh ohio state will still be there in the end um i don't know but that's i know i'm throwing a lot at you there but that's kind of where i'm at yeah i know i was actually listening to josh pate earlier today and as much as i like him He's a proponent of going back to the BCS. Same. I love going it. Going to the two-team system. And mm-hmm. I just think we've had three, three, three or four seeds, not mm-hmm. number one or not number one or two seeds, win the college football playoff in the last eight years. So the fact that we've had three teams in eight years that wouldn't have made the BCS championship, I think that right there kind of nullifies the idea that it's a good idea to just go back to two teams. The one good point I feel like he made from that is we never heard the term meaningless bowl game mm-hmm. before the college ball playoff. And I'll, like, I'll give you that. It is, it is ruined BCS bowl games or New Year's Six bowl games. But I feel like, isn't it kind of worth it that we're crowning a little more legitimate champion? Like, I don't want to I'm, – I'm so skeptical of expansion. I think when we were on here and we first announced the 12-team playoff, I was like, yeah, I'm all for it. Let's just decide on the field. Then Texas and Oklahoma got added. It was like, well, it kind of changes the power structure of all the major conferences a little bit. Now it's like, I don't want to go past eight. Like, I think the college football regular season is so great. Like, the kick six, even in the co- in the college football playoff format, the kick six, like, that play is as crazy and as awesome as it was. It's not it, – it's kind of meaningless. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean what it, what it did mean, which was Alabama loses one game. Their season is literally over. Miss a field goal. Season's over. And because they didn't make the SC championship and they didn't make the BCS national championship. So like in, and if that happened in 2014, Alabama gets in as the three or four seed and probably wins the national championship. So it has definitely had repercussions on, on the importance of regular season games. Georgia loses the SEC championship and gets in the college football playoff and wins the national championship. Like that couldn't have happened in the BCS era. So I understand the, the, the people that want to decide on the field and, and have the conference, win your conference and you automatically get in. I just think college football, the regular season is so important. I, I would, I like the idea of going to six, maybe eight. And I really like the idea of the, I would, you I would do eight teams tomorrow if you would guarantee that those first round are on, on campus games. Like that would just be an awesome thing. Like then you're not really losing anything from that college football regular season. The reason college football regular season is so great is because those college atmospheres are so much better than the neutral sided games. So once you're out of the regular season, you have the SEC championship, ACC championship, whatever bowl game you're in, you're not in, those college atmospheres anymore. And 
in the NFL, you get a home playoff game, you go to the frozen tundra that is Green Bay, and that's an that's got the entire atmosphere that you normally have. So you're not losing anything for those playoff games. So I think if you're going to go expand the playoff, we have to get some more. And and just the travel alone, I think, is just kind of it's kind of unrealistic to expect fans to travel for like four neutral sided games a year when the home atmosphere is all really we really want. And I think it's what makes college football so unique from so many other sports in the, in the United States. Yeah. I just, I mean, eight doesn't work for me. It's like, if you're going to do this, you might as well go to 12 and you just go all out and you scrap the balls. I mean, I could, you could even sell me on 16 and that'd be it. Like you could, you could sell me on that, but um I don't know. I think ultimately it's still going to happen. Uh, you wanted to mention, though, the the powers that might rise uh, with the expansion. And Flo- uh, Miami stands out as a team that should be in. I actually think this means like BYU will probably find their way into these a couple times. You know, they didn't even make my top 10. Mm-hmm. Oh, so um, you got your top 10 list. You got your I, 10 risers. I got a top 10 of like mm-hmm. the next and I actually had 11, and I mm-hmm. forgot Michigan State made the playoffs, so I had to get, I had oh, to wow. get them out of there. Um, so uh, number one, I think most mm-hmm. people would probably agree, Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. They seem like a logical one. Number two, I had USC. Yeah, I don't know that it's this year, but I feel confident Lincoln Riley and just the access the Pac-12 has to the playoff. I think it's just a little easier to make it. Three, I had Texas, which okay. that was – I don't – I don't know about Texas right now, but Sarkeesian, it was year one. We could see Texas make a big jump in year two, potentially. I don't know, but it's Texas, you know, and they haven't made the playoffs. So when you're when you're going through that list of teams that haven't made it, um, I had oh, four. Look at the SEC, man. I can just scratch them off for a while. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. It's like, when tough they... because there are so many contenders in the SEC, but at the same time, you're going to have to beat those juggernauts in the SEC to actually get into the playoff. After uh, after Texas, I had Miami, um, and we can talk more about Miami. I know you had more to say about them. And then I'm going to group all the SEC teams here uh, at the end. I have Penn State, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. Mm-hmm. I think all of them have a potential to get in there. And then the three SEC teams, I think, that have the, the most – oh, I, I guess other than Texas A&M, I have uh, Florida, Tennessee, and Auburn. And Auburn right now saying Auburn does not like they're nowhere close to the playoff, but it's like they're a good season away from doing it, you know. So mm-hmm. outside of that, who, is there anyone I missed that that should have been on that list? Um, anyone on there that you sh- you missed? Um, hmm, I think Pitt's a wild card um, eventually because they figure some stuff out offensively, and I mean you got Keaton Slovis in there now. Uh, D'Antonio has been solid. I could see them flirting, flirting with that again. I could see, I, I don't, Ole Miss, like if Lane Kiffin stays, like we, we mentioned some of the other ones, but like, I could see it like 10 wins at Ole Miss is pretty bonkers. And if he stays around, I could see him. Like if I had to guess who's more likely Ole Miss or Kentucky or Tennessee, I would say Ole Miss at this point. Um, but yeah, I think, there's someone that stands but to be in Ole there. Ole Miss isn't – yeah, I guess Ole Miss – I guess I did include Tennessee. I wouldn't mm-hmm. even include Kentucky. But Ole Miss, I guess, is more there with Arkansas. Hmm. Like, is Ole Miss more likely to get in the playoff than Arkansas is? That's true. Um, I think North Carolina is kind of heading the wrong way. I would throw Utah in there. 
I, I think Utah still is someone who's just right there and they've been yeah. a game away from giving it away. Like we've talked about Kyle Whittingham being as just stable as he's been. Like I, I think at some point it's going to pay off and they're going to luck out into the, to the one. I mean, Oklahoma state's a great one for the next couple of years. I think that's a really good lock. Ever outside of the big 12. I think that's, that's one that stands out. Um, Wake. I'm not, I don't think that's sustainable. And, uh, and, Wake Forest, NC State's a maybe. I don't know. I could never quit NC State, as we know. They're just NFL quarterback. You, Matt Green. Like I just, I can't they, do it. And they then, are. They produce some NFL quarterbacks, no doubt about that. And then we throw just, in Florida State, right? Like I think we have. Well, to Florida, Florida State has made the playoff. Oh, that's they, right. They made the very first one. That's right. So that's why they goodness gracious. On the list. Yeah, it seems like a long time ago. It feels like Miami is the only realistic team. Or Miami, maybe North Carolina, only seem like. And we, if, you're, if you're talking the next decade of making potentially making the playoff, mm-hmm. I don't I don't ever see Pitt getting up there. Like, like yeah, they won the ACC this year. Like, it, it, like you also lost to who? Western Michigan, mm-hmm. like week three or something. They just don't seem that realistic. If you're if you're trying, Wait, has Wisconsin to find, made it? No, Wisconsin hasn't made it. Yeah, so I would throw them that's in a there. Contender yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the Pac-12, like Oregon has made it, and Washington has made it. Mm. So USC and Utah really seem like the only two that even really have that sort of potential. Like Stanford is just not what they were a few years ago. UCLA, not close. And the Big 12 has a lot of contenders, mainly because none of them have made it. Only Oklahoma's Mm -hmm. made it. But yeah, with Texas, Oklahoma State. and uh, But they would have gotten in this year if Oklahoma State just finishes at the goal line this year. Yeah. They're in it. Yeah, they honestly would have. And then and BYU is also another contender potentially right. in the Big 12. So, and That's the why Big I threw them 10, in there, yeah. Yeah, the Big 10's got a bunch too. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. If I had to bet money on the next one, I, A&M is the popular answer. But just because they have to get to the SEC, I wouldn't bet on A&M. If mm-hmm. I'm picking a, a team, the next first-time playoff appearance team i'm picking usc i think they're i think Mm. they're the next one that makes it okay all right matt green well that's all i've got um you have anything else you'd like to add on the college football playoff front and what's uh what's coming do you think ultimately 2025 is when they expand 12 do you think that's what what happens i don't think so i don't think 12 happens anymore i think 12 if it was gonna happen i feel like it would have happened we we got like that that format leaked and everything Mm mm-hmm and the fact that that didn't happen, it makes me think like the pushback was because it was 12 or maybe mm-hmm. it was something about the automatic qualifiers. Maybe there was, was also just... money. There was some money issues. Uh, there was a lot. If you read the reports on like what they couldn't agree on, it was a bunch of random stuff. Like it was silly stuff, like just really silly stuff. Like where they if they just been forced to sit in the room and figure it out, like Major League Baseball is doing this week, they would have figured it out in a week. But because... Yeah there was some dumb stuff like who cares about the automatic bits like what what i that part to me is like that's not a real reason to not do this like yeah the part i don't like about being worried about the automatic bids is i feel like we're already like biased towards the conference mm -hmm. champions so i just trust that a system that's they're gonna put them in yeah yeah when it all comes when it comes down to it uh, the 10 and 2 sec team that didn't make the sec championship versus the 10 and 2 pac 12 champion they're gonna go with that team so like or i guess it would be 11 and 2 at that point Mm -hmm. but 
so I, I just don't like the idea of the the spoiler. I mean, oh, I remember the other one now for college football or college basketball. I guess the team that gets hot and wins the wins the conference automatically gets in the tournament. You just have way more bids to go around, and I don't know. I just I don't I don't I don't I don't hate the automatic bid, but I just I don't. It doesn't seem necessary to me. Well, I remember the other thing now. It was the Rose Bowl. Is they want to keep that on January first at the time that it's on because it's such a ratings boon for the networks. And like that's the other thing is like how this works with networks and who gets what games and who gets involved. And there is a huge network piece of an expanded playoff and a twelve team playoff and how that all works because networks will be fighting over that. And I remember there's something about preserving the January first slot. And how that would affect like that being in the playoffs, like we're not moving the Rose Bowl off like that's not happening. So that playoff game has to happen at that time on that day because people really are conditioned to it. Like you just know when the Rose Bowl's on and it <laughs> January 1st. I, just at that can't, I can't adjust to the Rose Bowl being on at a different time. Exactly. Can't, so can't do it. That's what they're saying. And I, I mean, honestly, they're not wrong. Like the marketing's already been done. It's like, you know, when the Rose Bowl's on. And you always know in the Rose Bowl. I don't think there's another bowl game that you know instinctively. Hey, what what time is it? Oh, the Rose Bowl is on. Like there's no other there's no other bowl game that you kind of have that same same thought. Um, outside of you know we it's love December twenty seventh at six thirty. The uh, <laughs> the Cheez It Bowl is definitely on right now. Yeah, you don't have that. Go to thought. the TV. Yeah, you don't have that thought. Um, Matt Green, that's all I've got, sir. Um, but hey. This has been great as usual. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, follow Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore green. Follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. And remember the Tennessee Vols in our season review recap. They're fine. Things are great. And then Hendo Cinco. Oh, yeah, we NIL to- that. We'll have to get in on that. On next we'll get episode. in on next week. We'll get in on the next episode. But I it's, will say I feel balls. I, I wore this for talk the your balls off. Oh, Is that God. A, little, a little, little pun I just made there? I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> like the Tennessee Volunteers baseball team, Matt Green, just annihilating, annihilating, undefeated still. And a lot of people are wondering, like UNC Asheville, Sleeping Giant. Guess what? Swatted them out of the way. And we have UNC the Asheville. arms. UNC Asheville, Tennessee Tech. We had Georgia Southern in over the weekend. Man. I've gotten, I've gotten some Tennessee updates from your uh, from your Instagram. So mm-hmm. uh, keep it keep it coming. I got it. Well, you don't have to ask, sir. You don't have to ask. Um, Matt Green, always a pleasure. I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right. That'll do it for the full ride with Matt Green here on the Chase Thomas podcast. Hope you enjoyed uh, this edition of the podcast. That will do it for the Thursday, February 24th edition here at ChaseThomasPodcast.com. Uh, please do give Matt a follow if you have not already done so at Matt underscore W underscore Green. And if you like listening to Matt and myself talk college football on this very podcast, please do make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends, tell your family, coworkers, whoever, about the podcast and why you like it. It would uh, help more than you know. Uh, please do email us if you have any college football questions or anything about the show at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, go visit chasethomaspodcast.com for access to all of my previous episodes and more information about this very program. And then, as always, don't forget, we're on YouTube. If you want to watch this podcast instead of just listening to it, 
uh, youtube.com, type in the Chase Demos podcast, hit that subscribe button when you find the channel and uh, like the video, share them out, all that good stuff. And uh, don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. All right, Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.